0: This is the SHIFT podcast.
1: Today on the SHIFT daily podcast, you got to continue listening here because Dr. Hannah Shalist returns to life in Odessa after traveling about. She gives us an update on the war in Donbass, how Ukrainians feel about Canada handing gas turbines back to Germany so they can get oil and gas from Russia. Are You Okay With Whiskey is coming up, plus Handy Andy Barrar is back on with more tips on how to stay cool this summer. And Dan McTagg, Canadians for Affordable Energy, touches on Canada's contribution to energy around the world, and how Canada can save the day in regards to energy, if only the Canadian government would do that. Rising prices and more, all of this on the Shift Daily Podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been able to connect to Odessa while we continue our conversation with our friends and colleagues in Ukraine. We've learned an awful lot about what's been going on. Uh, One of our friends, uh, Hannah Sherlis, PhD, has been very, very busy traveling around, advocating for Ukraine, and has settled back in. And not only is uh, Hannah so amazing to go and do that as part of her career, um, she makes time for us as well, and joins us now from Odessa. Hi, Hannah.
2: Uh, good morning or good night. Always glad to be with you.
1: Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate that. You've been pretty busy out working um, the circuit, trying to, uh, you know, continue to advocate for your country and uh, and everything else, I, I without giving us too many details where it, it sort of compromises, I guess, the confidence that you uh, share with some of your colleagues. Um, What does that look like for someone who advocates for the country and travels around and visits with all of these uh, government people? I mean, I don't even know what that really looks like.
2: It's not only governmental people, but experts and journalists as well, because uh, uh, they are those who are formatting the public opinion and the political opinion inside of their countries. That's why it's always important to have these interaction and the insights conversation, trying to understand what is uh, inside of their countries, uh, what are the decision-making process now, what are the moods and sentiments, but also at the same time, uh, uh, they would like to have a lot of questions for clarifications, let's say, about what is happening in the country, because news is good, but news very often are very brief, or it is the perception through the eyes of another journalist. And uh, that's why some of the elements always is better to discuss more in detail, to explain what is happening on the ground, how it looks like here. And th- that is a mutual process that is important both for Ukrainians and for our partners. This time for me, that's been for European countries and very different perceptions, very different perspectives sometimes very different moods but But that is important because this also help us in Ukraine to understand better how our partners feel and what we can expect from them
1: so. Uh, I'm guessing that means again, buses and trains out of Ukraine into other countries than flying to your destinations. That's what travel looks like for someone who is Ukrainian these days.
2: Uh, exactly. And this time it was just a disaster because it seems to me that we coincided uh, two things the war and the strike of plenty of European companies. So it seems to me that from 15 flights and buses that I had only one were on time. And oh, uh, I usually like for you to imagine that if uh, previously from Odessa to Chisinau, that is 180 kilometers, I could take it for three hours, or by Kai, it's still sometimes possible three and a half if you're lucky with the border. So for me, on the way to Chisinau, it took seven hours. Oh. uh just because yes and uh, that is definitely not what you're expecting for 180 kilometers but that is a reality because uh, we spent three hours at the border they've been very thorough checkings uh, of uh, the man of the cargo of everything and there is not so many people there so it's not that you have a huge line of people standing there trying to leave country or to return back that is more of the procedures but also because on the border, or, or better say, the road to the border, it's a very narrow uh, road, because usually like, not so many people used it uh, uh, regularly. There were trains, there were other um, means of uh, traveling. Uh, there are plenty of tracks with grains. All those grains that been in the silos in Ukraine and that we are trying to export so people in Asia and Africa would have their uh, grains and uh, food, uh, they are now in the tracks and the thousands of tracks that are trying to cross the border.
1: Huh, interesting. That's remarkable. I um, So now, but been, I watch uh, Flight Flightradar24 a lot. It's one of my uh, favorite websites to go where they have an awful lot, like all the flights from around the world. And Keisha, I mean, there's not a lot of flights coming out of... Out of Moldova. I mean, I think there's actually right now, according to this. Of course, this doesn't include military planes that aren't being tracked. But there is literally um, one flight right now from uh, Chişinău to Istanbul, and there's another one that's not off the ground yet. That's it. The whole country. If I go and I move that over Romania, there's probably 60 or 80 planes over Romania. So there can't be a lot of options for you to kind of get around and and get your job done.
2: Uh, yes, it's not so bad. Let's say uh, they are like the average uh, small airport. So they could have something like, I don't know, 10, 15 flights per day. So they have several uh, to Bucharest per day, several to Istanbul per day, Warsaw. So they have these main connection hubs of uh, for sure. So probably just the time of the day uh, and how they have the schedule. Plus, they have the cheap airlines that. With air flying uh, there, but definitely that is not the same uh, as what even Odessa Airport had uh, previously, and uh, that makes it uh, a little bit more um, complicated for all the connections. Plus, you need to understand that it's not only number of flights, but also which of the flights you can take because we still have the curfew in Odessa, Uh, and it is from the 11 p.m. till 5 a.m. and it means that, for example, I cannot leave the city early in the morning to be at 9 a.m. flight in Kishinev. I either need to stay overnight or taking only the evening flights. They're definitely limiting your options.
1: Uh, Hannah Shalist is in in Odessa, Ukraine. I, I suppose this is probably one as a professional who has to travel for your job that this is one of those things that many Ukrainians are looking at right now is that it's going to be a long time before you can air travel anywhere in Ukraine, obviously for safety reasons because with, you know, bad guys flying around. It's not like you can hop a flight out of Kiev anytime soon. So is that sort of the conversation for, you know, in and around your colleagues is that it's going to be trains, planes and automobiles here for a long time just to get into Poland or or into Moldova, Romania, so you can get a flight out? Is that is that just something you have to accept
2: at this point? Uh, for many of the colleagues, yes, people are trying either combined trips or, or not uh, uh, taking the trips at all. Because for you to understand, if for me, I said you it is like from four to seven hours to uh, have the bus to Chisinau. For my colleagues from Kiev, it is 20 hours by train to um, wow. uh, Warsaw. And that is the nearest airport that they really can fly. That's why sometimes the trip for two days somewhere in Europe means the whole week of traveling. And people definitely yeah. don't want to take it. But the problem is that, as for now, we are traveling only for work. And for holidays, even that you can have your financial opportunity or not being busy with uh, something, but people are just discussing that they cannot travel for holidays. It is like psychologically, you cannot imagine to leave the country uh, just to have several days of rest, even that many of my colleagues are... Uh, Really exhausted psychologically and physically because of all the work they've been doing and many people in the country like this But that is the psychological stop. What type of holidays about what type of holidays you're speaking when the country is in war
1: Now, Odessa is down on the Black Sea It's typically a summer vacation stop for many people. Are you seeing anybody come around? Does anybody even bother trying to take a trip to Odessa and now that you guys have made your way to summertime?
2: It's definitely not the uh, touristic destination this year. I saw some of the people who are coming here for two, three days uh, just to have the sea air uh, for the kids, for example. But you need to understand that the uh, um, beaches are closed, so you cannot swim because of the mines uh, there. So what people can do is maximum to have a small pool uh, uh, if the hotel uh, has it, or, or to walk around the seaside or in the downtown. So in some of the suburbs uh, where you have the summer houses, you can see that uh, some families with the kids, for example, rent at a small house so kids can have a little bit of the fresh air, but it is not the touristic season or something like this.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so uh, Hannah, if you could update us with things going on. Since you and I have spoken, it's been a couple of weeks because we've both been working in a way, so... um, the Snake Island, I mean, flying the Ukrainian flag on Snake Island must be incredibly inspiring for so many Ukrainians. At the same time, though, when you get into the Donetsk region and all those places, uh, there's been some you know, losses of territory there. What, what is the overall tone? Um, what have we missed and, and what is the clear update as you provide to your colleagues as you travel uh, that we might not know?
2: Uh, you know, definitely the situation is extremely dynamic, both on the east and uh, on the south. Uh, You have fighting, if we speak about the East, uh, that is predominantly artillery, that is uh, fighting for many villages. Uh, Some are, um, I can't say lost, uh, because lost is something when you never can return it back. But in some of the places, we needed to step back, so not to lose our soldiers, not to be for them encircled. So it is the regrouping, it is the heavy shelling of the cities. Uh, My grandparents' town been shelled a lot, even that the previous months, as it was not under the. The attack, but then you go to the south, and here you have Ukrainian counterattack in Kherson region. And uh, after we received HIMARS, uh, that is the uh, uh, high mobile rocket launch systems, uh, these long-range systems that we received from the US, they appeared extremely successful. Uh, for the distances of let's say 70 kilometers uh, and they are targeting now the stockpiles of russian ammunition and uh, for the last week you had something like 13 huge stockpiles being uh, um, targeted uh, the last night in a very important town on the south uh, it is the fireworks that been seen tens kilometers around uh, um, the town uh, so uh, it's not only the snake island that definitely been very symbolically uh, important place strategically, but many other destinations where we are trying to advance our positions while we are waiting for the additional um, uh, weapons that are now on the way and that will help us to uh, push even more the Russians out from our territory.
1: So there has been some damage that's been done with some of this new technology. I do believe the number was eight of those rocket launchers and everything else. Um, asking for more, I think it was really a great quote that I, I had read about um, You know, we we have we have eight. We've done a bunch of damage. There's four more coming. That's great. We need eighty. And what?
2: Uh, yes, know, that, ideally, I mean, because you said, the favor, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. The, the the good thing is that they are highly mobile. So uh, they are coming. They are shooting. They're uh going to the different destination. But at the same time, when you understand that the front line is two thousand kilometers you definitely need more of this type of the weapons because they allow to save lives of the soldiers, so they would not come very close to the uh, uh, enemy. But at the same time, uh, what is good, they are very highly precise. So we can guarantee that we are not targeting uh, any of the critical infrastructure or something that should not be, not to have the collateral damage, first of all, And the second is that we understand that we cannot target everything. That's why Ukrainian command decided to target stockpiles, because if you don't have weapons, you're not able to uh, fight. And there are less possibilities to attack Ukrainian territory. That's why the more we have and the more we will be able to target of these stockpiles, um, the uh, more advanced position we will have.
1: Now, that technology has a big impact on everything that's going on, that's for sure. But another big impact, of course, is energy. Hannah, the conversation about energy as, uh, you know, they're looking forward to the fall now. There was some stern words from Ukraine for Canada by returning turbines, pumps to, uh, that were out for repair to Germany so they can pump energy from Russia. But at the same time, a bunch of Germans, uh, you know, that's going to be a pretty cold winter if they can't heat their houses. What's the conversation about Canada in Ukraine?
2: Um, you know, definitely the Canadian decision to return back this turbine been, been quite worrying. And it's not about uh, Canada per se. It is about the possibility for Russians to manipulate uh, with the sanctions and to uh, press uh, the nations who've been very strong uh, with the sanctions policies, like Canada to uh, withdraw some of them, to set back. And, and that is very dangerous, because Russians are very good with manipulation uh, in the politics. But if we speak about the, uh, G- Germany and the situation there, on the one hand, we understand perfectly what does mean the severe winter or the prices for the energy. We are paying the same. And uh, previously, Ukraine paid higher prices for the energy than uh, um, Germany. The prices for them were better. But you need to understand that when some countries have been uh, um, trying to resolve the situation, for example, searching for the alternatives, France and Italy had negotiations with the uh, um, northern African countries, with the Qatar to receive alternatives. Germany was doing nothing. They decided that they have very good uh, deal with the Russian Federation, that they have Nord Stream 1 and 2, so why they should care about it and that russia would never use uh, gas as the energy weapon uh de facto russia have already used it several times um, uh, gas supply as energy weapon they twice uh, just switched off uh, supply to ukraine in the middle of winter i would even say on the first of january literally in the new year night and uh, germans didn't learn the lessons and that is the question uh, why so probably for some countries they need to have uh, um the crisis uh to have a better understanding uh that they need to make a proper decisions and to calculate their risks not waiting till the very last moment
1: well yeah germany's been at the top of that conversation haven't they all along here um well i you know i'm glad that you're um that you're everything is okay i'm glad that you know as everything continues for you i, I just i guess i wanted to sort of just leave a bit of an open microphone for you hannah as we do um to you know how are you doing and and it's been a lot of work you've worked incredibly hard i've learned this about you you work very very hard and um and as i was we finished our conversation uh, i went to bed i woke up the next morning turned on the bbc and there you were so you are literally working very very hard um how are you doing and and what do we need to know that we haven't we haven't been paying attention to
2: uh you know, I would like you also to pay attention to the resistance of the common people at the occupied territories, because we are talking a lot about weapons, partners. Uh soldiers, that is extremely important. But also uh, what is increasing now it is the local resistance, for example, in the Kherson region, in the Parisia region. Uh, a few days ago it was a fantastic article by David Patrick Karakos for Unheard. Uh, he wrote, he talked with people um, on the ground through the intermediary, uh, exactly how people are trying to uh, put graffiti, to put Ukrainian signs, to ring Ukrainian music, but also to kill occupiers, let's be honest. Uh, on the ground just to show that that is not their land and it seems to me that the strength of ukraine is this local resistance when people understand that you should not rely only to partners to the big weapons but if it is your land you need to stand strong to um to get rid of the occupiers
1: yeah it's amazing it's absolutely amazing well thank you very much for your time and for fitting us in with all of this stuff the insight is just quite remarkable what i what i think what i'm learning here um Hannah, is that, you know, you've traveled a couple of times now, but you've also shared some of your network of people with us. And, and the amount of people, uh, not, I mean, people that are fighting literally with Molotov cocktails on the front lines, literally. And then there is this massive army of people in the background that are working tirelessly every single day, up and down, day and night, travel, you know, all of these hours on trains uh, just to get out and continue the conversation. And, and that's inspiring for me. I, you've taught me that, so thank you.
2: Thank
1: you. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for us to get into Are You Okay With? Are you, are you Are you Okay. 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 Are you okay with 877-399-9898. That's the phone number. You can let us know if you maybe agree or disagree. What are your thoughts on these topics we have for you? Are you okay with Whiskey.
0: Whiskey? Oh, yes, absolutely. I am a fan How of, whiskey, of the whiskey. Whiskey, older? whiskey uh, oh, <laughs> I don't know. Because drinking whiskey makes you feel like more badass. It's just like a proven fact. I was watching The Crown, and Princess Margaret was offered a drink, and she mm. just goes, I'll have a whiskey. And she just immediately was cooler. That's the mm. whiskey effect. I didn't try whiskey until I went to a tasting with my dad. And it was kind of one of those things where I forced myself to like it. But by the end of the night, because I had a couple, it was delicious. And ever since then, Mm. $70 every couple of months for a nice bottle lasts for
1: usually like six months. Yeah, Yeah. worth it. Six months? Wow. Yeah, probably usually. Six days. (laughs) Okay, ready for some Irish uh, trivia? Okay. What is the fastest declining uh, not Irish. What is whiskey? What is the um, what is the fastest declining whiskey in the world in popularity? Ah, uh, probably Jameson. Well, not like a brand. I'm a sort of meant Wh- from a place. I guess I wasn't clear. By the way, read my mind, will you? Oh, it's, I'm sorry. I don't. I, me, me, me. <laughs> uh, so, so, fastest
0: declining whiskey market. Like, uh, yeah. I would say probably. Uh, the U.S. is making a lot of them. Yeah, that's Canada Kentucky has Urban. a couple of them. Uh, Canadian rye whiskey, yeah, yeah. I would guess, I, I would guess Ireland because Scotland is still such a strong Scottish uh,
1: export. Irish whiskey is up like a thousand percent in sales, and Scotch is way down. Like really? down by like a thousand percent yeah so popularity so it's um it's amazing and apparently the technology changed what happened with scotch whiskey was i did some learning what happened with scotch whiskey was there was a new distilling process that they adopted in scotland that allowed them to make whiskey that was as good if not better more clarity for cheaper and then the irish were all stubborn and they're like we're gonna do it the old way because look castles and then um they continued to do it that way, and what's happened is, is that as um, some of the smaller distilleries have started to produce, that Irish whiskey has skyrocketed in popularity and is the fastest growing spirit. I was told, um, fastest growing spirit in the world is Irish whiskey. I never
0: would have, I never would have guessed that. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many. It's one of those drinks where it really changes depending, like the 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 main foundation of it is pretty similar, but everybody likes to do it differently. And to the Scottish credit, as as far as I know, they still do this. My favorite whiskey, which comes from Brooklodic, which is in the far north of Scotland, like on an Island. um, They still uh, do it how they made it in the 1800s. And they know that the, I don't know what the distillery, like the big tanks are called. They have a special name, Mm. but They know that it's full because they have a broken meter stick ruler inside of it. And when it fills up all the way, it floats to the top and rings a bell that's literally attached to a string. Wow. So they still do it that way because they're like, why would we need to install technology? The bell works fine, which it does. So there are still people doing it the old school way.
1: uh, But interesting. Huh there's um it's neat they've uh, there's all kinds of cool stuff they used to tax whiskey and how much whiskey was being distilled but then they would also hide whiskey so it wasn't taxed but then their sales were (laughs) way higher than what they were being taxed on so they actually have these these vat pumps that pump from these distill like a triple distilled whiskey that goes from one two three in the vats and then um, it has these three things, and it measures it as it goes through so it all gets taxed cool. properly. Like It's neat what they've they've come up with in some of these rules, and it's so simple and so old. And not even the, I mean, the maturation process. We need to learn more about the whiskey, right? I'm working on that. I'll just tell you right. right now. I may be working on something like that. Some people love whiskey to an annoying degree. Ryan just likes the most expensive whiskey you can buy. Have mm-hmm. you ever run into someone who thinks they're... Mm-hmm. Bitterer than you because they like whiskey canadian trevor wallace has a pretty good impression of those types of whiskey fans
0: i don't drink whiskey to be
3: better than everybody i drink whiskey because i am better than everybody
4: i love bourbon because of how smooth it is What is this, only aged for
3: two years? Get this toddler out of here Somebody called daycare This one gives subtle tones of cedar oak Burnt BMW leather seats And swinging at the bouncer No, you can't smoke in here Whiskey for me isn't even about the taste It's about how much memory can I erase Hopefully everything I sent a lot of bad messages to good people last night You ever drunk text Papa John's? He responds
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny actually Right? Uh, Yeah I like that uh okay, so that's fun. But whiskey is amazing in moderation. The taste, the flavors, the, the barrels that it gets matured in, everything from you know other whiskey to wine, you name it. It's cool. The the fact that it has been um what is that word? Prived. Proved. a oh, up. Proved. Oh, uh the this fact has been proved by a distillery in new hampshire that is helping to get oh. rid of an invasive species what have you
0: done uh it's the uh, it's the typo script
1: i haven't done that in a long
0: time oh my yeah i didn't all right let's do you want me to tell you okay this is what Hit it, it is so whiskey's amazing in moderation one. can be distilled for a good reason It is a Mm -hmm. fact that has been proven by a distillery in New England, not New Hampshire, that is helping to get rid of an invasive species of crab by turning the crabs into whiskey.
3: A New Hampshire distillery is serving up something new this summer, crab-flavored whiskey. Tamworth Distilling is partnered with the University of New Hampshire to create Crab Trapper. The whiskey features the flavor of green crabs. It's made with a bourbon base steeped with crabs, corn, and spices. The limited edition bottles are available on the company's website for about $65 each.
1: Mmm. Yummy. (laughs) Would you try it? Nope. No? That from CB cbs boston i wouldn't because it's bourbon i don't like bourbon i don't like the corn okay, yeah
0: yeah bourbon yeah okay i feel i feel i feel on the bourbon
1: front but uh, you have to in try. order to be kentucky like you have to be from kentucky like you can't there's some amazing whiskeys that are from yeah. just outside um kentucky that they can't be kentucky they can't be bourbon it's all kinds of rules uh each bottle of this crabby whiskey uses about a pound of green crabs and the distillery describes it as a thinking sipping drink I think they missed the marketing opportunity there, right? That <laughs> yeah, I like, think it's, so too. It's a thinking, sipping drink with, like, a pinch of something, right? Like they, like, why do they? A like pinch it's got of, a bit of A bite to it.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. Made with the finest crab apples.
1: That stuff like that.
0: Oh well. You'll come out of your shell as you drink this. Ooh, right.
1: Ooh, <laughs> right. This is the Shift Podcast. Let's get started with handy Andy Barrar and find out what his advice is gonna be.
0: Yeah, I am a disco dancer.
1: I feel like it's gotta end with like a yeah.
3: I love the you I love know? the ending of that. It's just a yeah. it's a great Pretty segue to just talking. I love
1: it. Love it. All right. Okay. So handy Andy uh, Barrar joins us here from the West Coast to chat about a bunch of things. First, so let's talk about these air conditioners because I had a lot of people that sent in some some comments. Ryan was struggling with the inserts for the windows. He tried cardboard, yeah. all fell apart. Um, like you said before a couple of weeks ago here on the shift, Andy that. Um, you know, those, the exhaust and the air intakes are the most important portable, portable AC units. Sid and Chilliwack says Home Depot major hardware centers have inserts for Windows Rye. Uh, any advice on the, uh, the DIY insert? I was thinking the Coroplast card, uh, Coroplast plastic cardboard. What do you think?
3: Yeah, so there's a couple of options uh, for Ryan here. The first is you can go on Amazon and look for the covers for your windows. It really depends on what kind of window that you have, if it goes side to side or up and down. But you can check and they'll have inserts for the window. The one thing that I suggested that he do is go to Home Depot and you can get this insulation. It looks like kind of like styrofoam, but it's like this insulation. And what's great about it is you can just use an X-Acto knife and just Mm. cut it out perfectly to where you want. Cut the hole to put your um for for your ac unit and then you can seal it up with duct tape make sure that no there's no leakage uh because you really and this is what ryan's suffering right now is you don't want that hot air to get back inside it needs to get outside that's really how you keep your air cool but it's really comes down to sealing um the the air coming out of your house and making sure that it doesn't come back in that's one of the most important things that people get wrong when it comes to installing an ac unit
1: Okay, so there you go. There's that. Um, another text comes in and says, we bought an air conditioner. Uh, I'm assuming this is the name, Media. You can activate it on Alexa on Wi-Fi. Cool. Uh, the house can be cool by the time you get home. So that's a, kind of a need if you want to get into the smart home thing, as uh, Andy loves the smart home stuff. So there's one suggestion for you if you want to look that up as well. Um, Our house, isn't it all suitable for modern living? We don't have air conditioning. Um, they do what you recommend, Andy. We have fans and cold water. We put bowls of water in front of the fans. We spray ourselves a little bit of a mist. We hang wet towels in front of the windows, utilizing the cool properties of evaporation. It isn't great, but it's better than doing nothing. Some good tips Yeah,
3: you know, it, it's weird with the AC because, like, there was a time where we didn't have a- AC and, and we We survived. survived. And uh, so I have been actually resisting getting an AC unit in my house. I'm trying to become more heat adaptive, like to work in the heat. Um, It's tough. It's not easy. But uh, I feel the more I do it, the better I get. Uh, We're just Mm -hmm.
4: just
1: so spoiled these
3: days, I think. We uh, are so spoiled.
1: Yeah. I mean, even things like having, I have a humidifier, but it's a cold air humidifier. It's not one of the ones that boils the water and um that plus a fan I mean it blows uh, anyway but that plus a fan in the room I find makes a big difference which is kind of cool and that's two fans so it could be loud but I got an email here from Kathy at uh, it's the shift.CA um the bed bath and beyond desktop workstation type the little ones you put water some ice in it it's yeah. basically just like a humidifier it's evap cold it's a cold air evaporator really. Um, at my workstation in my garage it keeps the area quite cool during the summer in Kamloops they do work quite well but you got to keep the water level always full so it's always running again it's not an air conditioner but if it knocks it down those couple of degrees why not yeah that's all people they
3: just want to feel a little bit comfortable uh, in the day I really like those Alexa enabled AC units because the great thing about them is you can set them with schedules you can use them via voice and so your house is not Staying cool when you're not there. I think that's really the secret. You only want to use it when you need it.
1: Yeah. Now, if you go look on Amazon, there's a bunch there. Um, but really, Bed Bath and Beyond and some of the local retailers have the exact same things for basically the same price, if not even a little bit cheaper. So,
3: I think I think buying an AC unit like out of the when it's out of season is probably the best bet. You will probably get the better prices because now the demand is so high. That, um, you know, you're not not going to get that's for sure. Yeah, that's the thing. So but nobody thinks about this kind of stuff until it gets warm. So, yeah, um, but history does repeat itself. It always does get hot in the summer. So you should just remind yourself maybe in the fall or in the
4: spring.
1: Yeah. Well, there's no doubt about that. But again, not only are we um, a little bit soft, we are also um, we hate inconvenience. And we're also lazy and we want someone else to figure it out for us. Okay, Uh, handyandymedia.com, follow his YouTube uh, video page as well, shiftheads.ca. There's a video up there as well. You did the outdoor laser projector theater for a little outdoor movie watching. How did it go?
3: Yeah, it went great. So I really want to educate people to let them know that, you know, when people think of projectors, they think of, oh, I have a home entertainment room in my house. I have this projector. You either mount it on the ceiling and you have a projector screen. Well, a lot has changed in the last couple of years. And what they've created are what are called portable projectors. These things are relatively small. They can fit in in like one hand. The one that I reviewed is from Epson. It's about, I don't know, the size of a, of like a square little box. And the cool thing is it has everything built into it. It's like a little Swiss army knife of a home entertainment box because all you need is a white wall. You grab this projector, it's super small, it's portable, you just plug it in, it will automatically adjust the focus, the keyframing, it does it all automatically, and then boom, any wall can turn into a giant screen, HD screen. So I had up to 150 inches with this projector, and if you watch the video at Shift Head, or you can go to my website and find it on my YouTube channel, handyandymedia.com, you'll see that I actually tested it outdoors. Because my next door neighbor has an outdoor projector screen that he built a DIY one from my suggestions. I actually told him, you know, you should try cool. to uh, you should try to uh, build a, an outdoor projector, and he did. And uh, I tried it out. So you want to check it out?
1: Okay, wicked. So. Um, that really is kind of neat because, you know, how many times you're trying to find things when it's cool? We just talked about it being hot in the summertime. Not everywhere cools down. Humidity in southern Ontario doesn't really cool down much at nighttime. But in places like BC and Alberta, it does get uh, – in Manitoba, it does get a lot cooler at nighttime. Maybe a little family late-night moving movie viewing in the backyard is not such a bad idea. Yeah, and
3: the thing I like about this is instead of buying a TV – and say you have like a game room. You could use this like during the wintertime indoors – and then when it gets hotter, you take the projector and out, you know, you don't do that with your television. So it makes sense to have an entertainment device that, you know, you don't even need to mount it. You just, all you need is a wall. Like don't put shelves yeah. on your wall. Leave Some the wall Use playing. a sheet
1: even? Like if outside, whatever, use a white sheet. You could use a sheet. You could put it on your
3: garage door. Basically, it's just a light wall. Um, and the kids will love it because it has HDMI. They can even take their game consoles and start gaming uh, in the backyard. So it's something that I think a lot of people should consider now. They have Bluetooth speaker built into it. So you don't even need a, a different speaker. Everything you need is right. Re- and it's a streaming player, too. So it has Google TV built right into it. So you can just watch movie nights with this tiny That's projector cool. that requires it's just literally plug and play. You have to check this video out. I couldn't believe how easy it was to operate. And it really is the future of entertainment, uh, in my opinion.
1: Did you have to send it back or can you accidentally
3: lose it to nah, a friend so in have- Calgary? Mm. No, they keep making me send all these back and oh, uh
1: that's so I, stupid. I'm,
3: I know, and I'm such a fan of them. I'm like, wow, like this is this is big, this is a big deal. Like a lot of people that are gonna buy a TV, I'm like, why? If you live in an apartment building, why don't you just buy one of these? You go to a party, take it with you, you know? And the cool Mm -hmm. thing is it's a Bluetooth speaker as well. So when you're not using it, you can still stream your music on it. So it's kind of like a Swiss army knife. It's a multiple use device for home entertainment.
1: Um, This one's not cheap though. 1300 bucks roughly about that.
3: Yeah. So this is the only problem with these portable projectors is the price. I think they need to get under a thousand dollars for people to start buying them. Samsung had another one that I reviewed that was really, I really liked it. But the price, it's just, this is what happens, Shane. New products, the price is super expensive. You have to wait a couple of years, more competition, and then the price will go down.
1: There is an older version called the EF11 um, and Best Buy, Staples. They all have it though. If you want to check it out, give it a little look. Go and uh, take a run at it. And so the one thing that I recommend if you're looking for one
3: of these portable projectors, make sure the legs on them are adjustable because for this one, I'm, I'm one of those guys, Shane, if I put a shelf up, it has to be perfectly straight and level. And so when I'm making this screen, I couldn't get it perfectly straight. So I was mm. using like beer coasters and all these things to try to, to even it all out. So um, if you do get a portable projector, make sure that the, the feet, because this one, I couldn't adjust the feet. So I was propping it up with a bunch of stuff. Uh, that's what you wanna look for in a portable projector is adjustable feet. So you can get that perfectly straight image.
1: Awesome lumens is what you look for that's the brightness and then you also want to look at the resolution because i did buy a cheap one for my daughter for her room and most of them were like 720 and then i found one that was 1080 and it was this nice little like debranded cheapo from yeah. amazon worked well so read the description is what i'm saying before you buy yeah
3: lumens you want at least a thousand lumens um yeah. that's the brightness and that's the thing is these projectors like The bigger the screen you make, you can push it back and the screen will get bigger, but it gets less brighter. So you have to make a compromise. You can't have your cake and eat it too with these projectors.
1: This is the Shift Podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since we've had a chance to chat, summer vacation, and all things those families do to get in the way of our lives. Dan McTagg is here, Canadians for Affordable Energy. Dan, how are you?
4: I'm fine, and uh, throw uh, catching COVID in the mix there as well. Ah, Uh, So there you have it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that slows you down in a real hurry, doesn't it?
4: Yeah, four times vaccine, but uh, hey, look, uh, it's uh, it is what it is. Maybe uh, maybe my system will build up a little bit, and I'll be prepared for the next uh, for the next volley come uh, fall.
1: Yeah, well, I'm glad you're uh, doing all right and on the men. That's good news. That's for sure. Lots has gone on since the last time we chatted, Dan McTagg. I mean, there's been lots of changes in the price of gasoline and diesel and all those things. It's not a ton, but it's a little bit. And um, there's been some geopolitics, so that kind of falls into your, your world for Canadians for Affordable Energy and your uh, retired world of the, the MP thing. So um, which where do you want to start? Let's start with the price of gas, because that puts this conversation right in everybody's laps. Um, I guess it's been a while since we chatted, so maybe you could just kind of update us on the status of, of all the things. Summertime driving is here. Um, how are we doing in the grand scheme of summertime driving demand and all that?
4: Well, predictably, we did hit $2 a litre and a little bit more on average. It's come down a little bit. But all this really is a symptom of the reality that there is a global energy crisis. And uh, we have talked about this many, many times, warned about it last year, warned about it in the fall, warned about it in the spring. We talked a lot about uh, shortages of nitrogen, urea that would lead to higher grocery prices, food prices. That's happened as well. I'm going to start to um, choose winning numbers for the lottery uh, because I seem to be on a bit of a roll here. Not for the right reasons, though. And uh, make no mistake, uh, behind all of this, in two words, green policies have brought us to this point. And uh, it's going to continue to be very painful for Canadians as they have embraced uh, an idea, a narrative in this country uh, advocated by a good number of politicians, usually on the centre-left. Uh, but who constitute the so-called progressive wing of the uh, Parliament that uh, believe that uh, you know increasing um, uh, prices, uh, taxes, burdens on the oil and gas sector at a time in which the world needs more Canadian oil, more Canadian pipelines, more cleaner Canadian fuel uh, to drive uh, the reality of the economy before us. Um, we still have a good number of people, I would say the majority, who uh, are completely oblivious to the damage that they're inflicting not just on canadians but on a, on a world i've had an opportunity to meet with parliamentarians of several nations european nations all scratching their head wondering why canada can't get more natural gas and oil to the rest of the world having the third largest provable reserves and so it's uh, beyond the 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 shock uh, of a nation like ours that can't it comes the answer won't and won't because of this woke policy that says uh, you know we can somehow Uh, make do with uh, solar panels and uh, wind and uh, EVs, all of which uh, are, you know, colossal failures, expensive, can't be made without uh, fossil fuels. But back to the issue of the energy costs, I think it's really become clear that in the minds of Canadians, uh, you know, my organization, Canadians for Affordable Energy, um, is now, uh, I think, very clear, clearly uh, the main thrust of, of, of concern in Canada. Canadians are concerned about affordability, the ability to make ends meet, and I think uh, rightly asking questions as to how long, uh, because I think it's pretty clear the why.
1: Yeah, uh, it's tough. It's a tough one, right? And uh, it's become very clear that the agendas that are well uh, deeply embedded at this point inside politics in Canada, uh, the amount of people that are inside, you know, high profile positions that have made it very clear that they're not doing what's best for Canadians, they are fulfilling that and maybe this is a great time to transition into the politics part of the conversation, Dan, I I don't know. But you know, everyone talks about this sort of politics as this line of left and right, and it's become more and more uh, evident, I think, Uh, Lately about that politics is not left and right on a linear line. It's become a full circle You have people on the left accusing people of the right the exact same things that the people on the right are accusing the people on the left And right you have authoritarian on one side totalitarian on the other and they kind of meet at the bottom end of this Circle that's that's happening, right? Like this conversation right now I mean, yes, we everybody wants to take care of the planet The question is, is how fast and how, you know, unprepared we are. Like there's conversations in that, you know, getting to net zero is only going to cost $84 billion. Like it's like it's that's a chump change. (laughs) It's it's not chump change, Dan McTagg.
4: Well, it's not. And I think it really requires. Oh, that was for
1: one city, by the way. Sorry to interrupt. That was only (laughs) one one city. city. I was
4: going to say Uh, then the transition to what they call and it's a it's it's neither just nor is it possible. Uh, it's unfeasible unless, of course, people are prepared to freeze in the dark, uh, uh, you know, be, not be able to manage. And we're prepared to accept a significant uh, decline in our standard of living to prove absolutely nothing. Look, uh, Germany had this nonsense for 30 years, invested over a trillion dollars in its renewables, and has now found itself, surprise, surprise, having to, you know, open up coal plants and begin the process of uh, taking that major leap. Backwards, uh, the renewables gang out there realized the falseness, uh, the dishonesty, uh, and the, the the shortcomings of what they were proposing. We know that uh, you know intermittency, reliability, uh, deliverability, dispatchability—all these things cannot happen with little windmills and little you know uh, uh, solar panels, uh, much as we like to think of them. We don't even have battery storage. there so we've been trying for a long time. The reality is that a modern, uh, you know, robust economy uh, would be far better to try to manage the expectations and the needs of the world by ensuring best practices, as Canada can do, rather than what Canada's not doing. And that's allowing other countries to do it for us and, unfortunately, uh, thumbing their nose at these Virtue signaling ideas that somehow we're dirty, we're unclean, um, and the brainwashing that's gone along with it uh, in the politics of this country, and not just on the political level, because I think it's political demagoguery is one thing. Uh, The fact that you know you have uh, academics uh, to teachers to curriculums in this country that have been pushing this nonsense uh, to such an extent that is becoming. Widely apparent that the disconnect in the minds of people is uh, is is now starting to 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 inflict pain on everyone. Uh, this is a needless um, recession that we're about to uh, to see, and it has a lot to do with a, a decline in our standard living. Not because we are excessive or we we don't care, but because in fact we've denigrated the very thing that allows us to to prosper and to be the country that we are and to have managed, despite uh, you know significant. Uh, geological, uh, you know, challenges we've managed to make of Canada and and a Nordic country like ours, a livable, hospitable, prosperous place. We're prepared to throw all of that away in this country by woke politicians and their friends who happen to also be work on ESG mandates and others. We're prepared to throw that away, cast that to, to doubt in the belief that somehow the public won't notice. Well, guess what, Shane? the public is noticing and $2 a b- uh, for a liter of gasoline it was a little bit like my my cousin taking a wet towel when i was a kid and giving it a good snap on the backside i think canadians are now starting to understand there's a cost for ignorance and this blissful idea that oh climate change we can wish these things away i am convinced that canadians are not going to want to hear any more of that nonsense and i think not for me but for those who've been pushing this for a very long time, they realize they've lost the plot because they've lost the public support.
1: Well, they got the uh, the price of uh, monies going up, right? Interest rates expected to go up again um, for the second time in like six weeks this yep. week. And so, um, so that's obviously evident. But you have the finance minister, minister here in Canada. I mean, you are a Liberal MP. You have been there sitting in the chairs. You have been in the conversations when they're talking about – you know, the the cost of things today and and the price of oil. And and the response becomes, we understand this is hard on Canadians, but this is a good reminder how we need to get free of oil and gas. So da-da-da-da-da, right? And and politicizing this, I suppose it's going to happen on all sides. There's no denying that. But it seems to me to be so detached from these hardworking Canadians who are literally working their butts off every day squeezing out one extra Mr. Noodles packet, right for the weekend. Yep, And and more people are like that than we realize. and And then to hear on the radio and on TV that this is a good reminder that these high prices are good, because it will remind us the importance of getting off of these things, <laughs> like they don't think the price of electricity is going to skyrocket if they were to flip the switch today. I mean, it's mind-blowingly detached. Dan, how do politicians become so disconnected from any point of A, reality, and B, the people they truly are supposed to represent?
4: When they get their talking orders from, you know, the World Economic Forum. I mean, the reality is that uh, uh, christopher Freeland showed up in Brampton where the liberal NDP coalition got a shellacking a month before in the provincial election. These are people uh, of many backgrounds. My wife works there. Uh, That's the community I've been most familiar with. When a diesel truck driver has to pay a dollar to run his truck or her vehicle, one kilometer, a hundred dollar a kilometer, you know you're in trouble because you've basically despoiled the ability for people to make ends meet. And when these same individuals can't make ends meet, and they have fixed contracts that don't allow them to increase the you know the cost of energy by 30, 40 percent, which is what we've seen 48 percent year over year. Certainly doesn't take into account the anticipated increases with the federal government's ridiculous, mindless, brainless carbon tax. That's the first one. And then the second one, the clean fuel standard, which they had the un you know, unmitigated temerity uh, to 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 put forward. Look, Christy Friedland, I don't think is a dumb person. But my God, to actually take that kind of a comment and, and, and think that people will not clue into the fact that uh, uh, their idea as to, you know, is choking off uh, Canada's resource sector, which makes our economy possible, which makes our lives possible, is some, somehow something you can switch to, is absolute fanaticism uh, that is perhaps more dangerous than stupidity. And I think in this case, uh, it's, I would challenge any liberal and they won't challenge me because I've taken them on. Uh, they know that they haven't got a leg to stand on and even their trendy friends in the NDP who try to challenge the first thing, you go right back to them and say, you guys are responsible for $2 a liter for gasoline. And they shut their traps damn quickly. And if they don't hit them with a the second one, which is the food prices, because there's a direct connection. can Canada, this is not a global phenomenon. And I want to repeat this, chain because I want to make absolutely clear to folks out there who, you know, obviously, uh, you know, do a little bit too much reading of liberal talking points, including the new Democrats. And that's this. This country has the third largest of reserves of oil in the world. It can, if it supplied every person in the world with natural gas, we'd have enough for 200 years. The mere fact That we are not able to deliver that product to the rest of the world at a time in which it's needed uh, is an absolute disgrace and a direct result of liberal NDP policies. Of course, green in that as well. So if you don't like the status quo in Canada, you don't like the cost of living, you're worried about your future, you now see the Bank of Canada is going to fight higher inflation, a weaker Canadian dollar, which is leading to more uh, of uh, or decline in your purchase power, uh, Bank of Canada is going to fight these high energy prices with higher interest rates. It doesn't get better than this to demonstrate just how far down the road these guys have been allowed to go. And it's really time—not so much for Canadians to wake up, but for liberals of uh, the ilk of Trudeau. Chrystia Freeland, Mark Kearney, and uh, that gang to pack up and go. Their time has come. They've demonstrated their ability to destroy a country and to, to spoil our future. And for that reason alone, they have truly lost the moral right to govern. And I will challenge anyone not to come back to me and say, hey, that's not true. Look, This wouldn't have happened globally if Canada had not killed two million barrels of oil that the world desperately needs today. Putin would be in no position to finance his maniacal war in Ukraine, much less threaten Europe as he is doing today. But no, we were too quick. We were too cute. We were too trendy. By killing pipelines in this country... Canada has contributed to global instability. Now let me back my foreign affairs cap back on cuz I damn well know what I'm talking about.
1: When you say a dollar a liter for, you know, diesel, that just so you know, that's a $1300 trip from Edmonton to Winnipeg. Let's put that in context directly for yep. people. Now, the the Liberal Party um this is the thing for me, Dan, is that the Liberal Party who used to be a pretty moderate bunch of folks, right? I mean, like it wasn't this. I mean, you sort of had NDP and that socialist left and then you had the Liberals kind of in the middle and you had Conservatives on the right. And it, I think one of the things that we need to have Canadians understand is that this has all shifted, right? Like it's not the same party that you knew even 10 years ago, um, let alone 20 years ago. And what they represent is a misnomer. And I say that because of the fact that we often compare um, in this, you know, Twitter conversation, the these lefties and these righties and everyone yeah, yeah. accuses everybody of the same thing, which is ironic to me. But the um, it's not that anymore. It's really not. It's not just no, it's the a same cult. old. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, a cult. Same, yeah, it's changed.
4: And it, it changed dramatically. And I would say it happened in 2013 and 2014, because I can tell you every liberal wanted me to run again in, last, in that election up to 2015. Up to 2014, and then three things changed: one, their energy policy, their social policy, and their virtue signaling kicked into high gear. Wherever it started, wherever it began, it's pretty clear that there was a design that had come out that uh, Justin was simply going to be the, uh, the the water carrier for this. But it uh, it led Canada to a very pernicious, divided psychologically divided country and the polity of this country is badly broken and i'm not sure it can be it, it won't be identified on provincial versus federal lines because i think those are old structures of another era it is in, in the minds of canadians the sense of alienation is uh, is very much a, a psychological one and one that uh, believes that uh, in many respects those governing this country uh, aren't just uh, representing their interests they're actually uh you know and thematically working against the interests of uh, of a good number of hard-working canadians who uh, have no beef no quandary no coral want to do better for themselves but are being told constantly by an interventionist state that as to what they are going to eat as to what they're going to use to heat and of course how they're going to manage their their lives in the future and it uh it's this kind of and you referred to it earlier totalitarianism authoritarianism it is this, uh, this, this government of diktat that I think has uh, me worried that this is more than just a question of where these folks fit on the political spectrum uh, to abandoning reason and rational discussion and to try to find that consensus so necessary to the vitality of the, of the, of the unity of the country, unity of spirit, not just unity in, in, in our political outcomes. So yes, am I concerned? You're damn right. Uh, do I think it's going to take something to push back? I think that's already happened. And unfortunately, the, the thin edge of the wedge is always the price of energy. I knew sooner or later this would happen, and it's it's, it's still unfolding as, as we, we speak. I think the inability for most Canadians to make ends meet is going to become a reality that most will not be able to ignore. And uh, if there is to be any new uh, movement around the world, it won't be a political one in this country. It would be a movement uh, in which... Uh, there is primacy, and there is uh, there is obviously a greater emphasis made on opening the minds of individuals to the uh, uh, to the uh, uh, to the tyranny uh, of those who have been pushing this one particular agenda, the green agenda in particular. Which I think is both pernicious uh, and is anti-human at the end of the day, certainly against population. By the way, I did have a conversation with a uh, a radio host out in Halifax once. Who uh, I said, you know, part of the agenda here, without getting over, over, you know, over it is, is you know, generally speaking, to remove to reduce the human condition. In fact, it's depopulation. At which point the host became upset the following week without telling me to try to sandbag me. He said, where did you get that? You made the statement, where did you get it? And I said, well, it's right there, Bloomberg News, December uh, November 19th, 2019, 12,000 scientists say that we have to address the issue of population. So, Shane, I don't want to go from, you know, sublime to well beyond, uh, you know, uh, and, and go on a tangent, but there is, we're, we're into the fourth or fifth inning of this game, Um the the narrative that has said that uh, Canadians and the rest of the world must punish themselves for the energy that they produce and be ashamed of what they've done, and uh, you know falsely believe that we can go into some kind of new uh, you know era of uh, uh, you know of uh, renewables that will simply displace uh, the old dirty fossil fuel ways. I think we're so deeply entrenched in this that the only thing it's going to cause cause us to come back is a severe uh, and, and and protracted recession in which Canadians are going to be forced to wake up one way or another.
1: Well, you got Germany, and um, we are going to have to leave it there. You got Germany, and they need their turbines back because when winter comes, they yeah. need to be able to pump some oil and gas and heat themselves. And I tell you what, everything that you hear in the news about... Uh, turbines to be able to pump, you know, uh, natural gas from Russia back into Germany to heat homes in the wintertime. Just imagine this. Imagine if we were saying, by the way, you're going to freeze to death and not be able to heat your stuff. If you, uh, you know, and that that's the choice you're making. What's the solution? No, not buying from Russia is not the solution. The reality is, is providing places like Germany with alternate sources, which Canada would be more than capable of doing So that as squarely on Canada as it does anywhere
4: else. Yeah, well, think about it, though, when you look at how this is all uh, playing out. Uh, Vladimir Putin is not being hurt by the sanctions whatsoever. Unlike the Canadian economy, which only began to show signs of strength with selling more oil to the United States, thankfully, we still have uh, uh, rail cars that can do that, but other nations are falling behind. Vladimir Putin's balance of trade, uh, you know, his account deficit is actually in, in positive. Our attempt at trying to derail him has been completely lost, and now we have this week Joe Biden on bended knee going to you know yet another uh, country with a great human rights record to beg them for more oil, even though his country is sitting on millions of barrels that he refused to allow to be developed. It is right is wrong, wrong is right, and it's uh, the world is upside down. But I think a good, unfortunate uh, e- uh, period of economic pain is going to resolve this one or another. Uh, Unfortunately, Shane. Yeah.
1: Demic McTagg, Canadians for Affordable Energy. Feel better, buddy. Glad you're here.
4: Good to be here, my friend. It's been a while and look forward to more.
1: Thanks for listening to The
4: Shift Podcast.
1: Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CuriousCast.ca.